Thank you for downloading this podcast from the Pardes Institute of Jewish Studies. This episode of Pardes from Jerusalem features Tova Leah Nachmani on Parashat Chaye Sarah. Did you know that Pardes from Jerusalem is now on Spotify? Subscribe today for the weekly Parsha episode or visit elmod.pardes.org. Looking for love, Chaye Sarah. In our postmodern times, it's often hard to distinguish between opinion and fact. But here's a fact. At least half of the long-term relationships and marriages in our current culture don't last, which raises a critical question. When we are looking for a love relationship that will last, how do we know what to look for? What are the most important factors in choosing a partner? And if we are already in a relationship, once we do find love, how do we keep the fire burning despite the familiarity and routine and annoyances of day-to-day life together? Parshat Chayi Sarah is a love story. It is actually a double love story, the love of Avraham for Sarah and the love of Yitzchak for his life partner Rivka. How are the two love stories similar yet different and what can we take from them into our own lives? We hear nothing of Avraham's love for Sarah in the Torah until she dies. In a heartbreaking scene in the Torah, Avraham mourns for her and cries. Avraham, the fearless revolutionary, the one who has overcome a lifetime of trials and tribulations, of family challenges and disasters, the brave one who fights and survives a regional war to return Lot, his nephew, from captivity. The Torah tells us that the same Avraham, in the middle of eulogizing his beloved wife Sarah, breaks down and cries. If we open our ears, we can hear Avraham sobbing. Hearing a grown man cry in pain over his loss makes us shudder at the fragility of our lives and our most precious relationships. What was the basis for the relationship of Avraham and Sarah? From the beginning of Parshat Lech Lecha, the Torah describes Avraham and Sarah as visionaries, revolutionaries. The Torah doesn't speak about their love. As a couple, they were perhaps busier with the revolutionary project they were building together than with their personal love relationship. But what they built together provided the unshakable foundations of their love and attachment to each other. Even Sarah's burial is an expression of those foundations. How so? Avraham pays an exorbitant amount of money to purchase a burial place for Sarah in the city of Hebron. For Avraham, that deed of sale is his first practical and legal foothold in the promised land, the land to which they journeyed together, the land where together he and Sarah were to become a great nation. And where's the real test of their togetherness? Avraham's own burial. Even though Avraham remarries a woman named Keturah at the end of this week's Torah portion and has six more children, Avraham still chooses to be buried next to his life mate. Sarah in Hebron. Sarah was his devoted partner in life, his Ezer Kenegdo. She supported his decisions and joined all of his journeys. But Sarah also stayed true to her own convictions. She challenged her husband when she felt he was acting with too much leniency toward the infractions of Hagar and Yishmael. Abraham loved her no less, and perhaps even more as a result of Sarah's steadfastness and principled determination to make hard decisions which would shape the future of their ability to be a blessing, to be a catalyst for ethical and spiritual change in the world. After Sarah's death, Abraham looks to the future. 
He knows that the decision to marry has long-term ramifications on the future generation. So he sends his faithful servant Eliezer under strict oath to find a wife for their son Yitzchak in Aram Naharaim. The commentators ask, wait a minute, if Abraham wanted a, a woman from there, why not let Yitzchak live there? And if he wanted Yitzchak to live nearby in the promised land, why not let him marry a local woman? The most contextual answer is that Abraham was determined to keep Yitzchak from being influenced by the idolatrous cultures of the local Canaanite clans. The text supports this answer in Abraham's warning to Eliezer. When Eliezer asks, what if the woman I, won't, I find won't agree to follow me back to this land? Shall I return your son to the land which you left? Abraham answers, don't you dare. He blesses Eliezer to give him fortitude to uphold the request. Abraham says, may the God of heavens who took me from the house of my father and from the land of my birth and who spoke to me and promised me saying to your offspring will I give this land, may he, God, send his guardian angel before you so that you will be able to bring a wife for my son from there. And again, Abraham warns Eliezer, and if the woman will not agree to follow you, you are absolved of this oath. Just do not take my son to settle there. Abraham was demanding from Eliezer to find a woman with vision, a woman who could make a commitment and who would even endure the pain of leaving her family in order to fulfill a vision as Abraham and Sarah did, in order to live the ethical and monotheistic ideals that they attempted to embody in their lives. Eliezer sets out with camels and gifts in a pastoral and moving scene where Rivka comes out to fill her water jug from the well. Eliezer finds Rivka, and in an act of extreme empathy and kindness, she gives water to a perfect stranger and makes many repeated trips to the well until she waters his entire flock of camels. Eliezer is in shock. For when he arrived in Aram Naharaim, he set for himself an almost impossible condition, saying, the woman I will choose for Yitzchak must be a person of extreme chesed, who will not only give me water, but who will water my ten camels as well. Eliezer knew he would choose only a woman who sees the need of a complete stranger and who would go above and beyond normal acts of kindness for another person. A woman of empathy. I heard a very powerful story from one of my teachers here in Israel, Rabbi Shinyar Ashkenazi, about empathy. The kind of empathy expressed not only in extreme acts, but even in simple acts of kindness, which become game changers in a relationship. Dr. Howard Kelly was one of the four founding physicians of the infamous John Hopkins Medical Center in the United States. Kelly grew up in poverty with a single mother who struggled to put food on their table. There were nights where he went to sleep hungry. One morning, his mother didn't have food for his school lunch. She gave him a sugar cube to hold him over till the end of the day. When he saw the other children at school open their school bags at 10 a.m. and pull out sandwiches, he couldn't bear it any longer. He couldn't bear being hungry. He left school and went to knock on the doors of the neighborhood until someone opened a door for him complete stranger, a young girl who opened the door, looked at him. Embarrassed, he mumbled, I was just passing by and, and I'm a bit thirsty. Can you give me some water? 
She looked at him with a heart of empathy. She went to the kitchen, and when she returned to the door, she said to him, In our house, we drink milk. And when we drink milk, we eat cookies. She handed him a glass of milk and four cookies. He drank the milk, took the cookies, and was about to run back to school in time for class. As he started off, she called after him, And if you need, ever need anything, you can always come back to our house. Her empathy, her smile, her sensitivity, her ability to look at his face and see what he really needed gave the young Howard Kelly a strength he would never forget. Her name was Rosaline Jackson. Decades later, and against all odds, Howard Kelly founded, co-founded a private medical center, John Hopkins. One day, Dr. Kelly received a medical file of a patient. He looked at the name, Rosaline Jackson. She was from the same small town where he had grown up. He went to her room and he saw her face. Even though she was hooked up to life support machines, he remembered the face of the young girl in this older woman. He took care of her with great medical professionalism and dedication. A month later, when she had, had, when she had healed and it was time for her to be discharged, Dr. Kelly's secretary brought him the file one last time to confirm the amount of the charges on her bill. The charges were $52,300. We're talking about the 1940s. That was a lot of money. Dr. Kelly took his pen, crossed out the amount, and wrote, paid 50 years ago with a glass of milk and four cookies. There are many versions to the story and it's not clear which one is the most accurate, but the message is clear that empathy can be life-changing. Dr. John Mordechai Gutman is an American psychological researcher and clinician who did extensive work over four decades on divorce prediction and marital stability. In his research, he questioned, what are the most important character traits that will make a relationship last? His research included meetings with young couples where he predicted the likelihood of the couple staying together. He would raise a topic the couple disagrees about and then watch them as they argue. He would look for the trait of empathy, the possibility to see the other person's perspective, to understand their needs, and to be able to say, I disagree, but because it is important to you, and if I am able, I will support you. I will do what you need. Empathy is a game changer, and it gives a couple, by his estimation, a 90% chance of staying together and building a happy relationship. In our Western culture, the young image of love in the media is way too often one of sensuality, sexuality, and romance. There is a severe problem with that image because romance is only a small part of what real love is, and it can lead couples to disappointment and despair, not to mention heartbreak and divorce. When love is young and fresh, there's often a sense of magic, the way the world smells, looks, everything is romantic. When looking for love, young people look for this chemistry, and chemistry is important. The Torah records Adam's reaction to the woman God makes for him as an existential excitement. Bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. Love feels like fire, but just like fire. It burns strong at first and dies down in time. It needs fuel to continue burning long and strong. 
Fire needs fuel, not just any fuel. It needs a combination of the right fuels. A real fire needs dry wood, not wet. It needs oxygen, not suffocation. It needs attention and understanding of how to help it stay strong. Fire also needs boundaries and limits, like a good relationship. We said that the Parsha is a double love story. How does the Torah describe the love of Yitzchak and Rivka? In Breshit 2467, it says that Isaac then brought her into the tent of his mother, Sarah, and he took Rebekah as his wife. Isaac loved her and thus found comfort after his mother's death. A personal life coach who I respect says, sometimes we feel unmotivated to get our work done, to do the harder tasks or assignments on our to-do list, or to exercise or to eat well. What motivates us to do things that are hard for us? When we feel stuck, what gets us going? His answer is knowing our why. When we know why we want to do something or why we need to do something, it can give us strength to overcome procrastination, fear, and laziness. So let's ask about Rivka. Why did she agree so easily to leave her family and follow Eliezer to a foreign land to marry Yitzchak? Rivka is described as a very beautiful young woman and a virgin whom no man had known. Questioning the reason for the repetitive expression, a virgin whom no man had known, Rashi quotes a very disturbing midrash from Breshit Rabbah, that Rivka lived in a culture where sexual abuse was common. Therefore, it was a wonder that she was a virgin and that no man had been intimate with her, including her father. A horrible commentary on what may have been a common practice in ancient cultures. Rashi's choice of this midrash is evoking the idea that Rifka jumped on the opportunity to take the first available ticket far away from the abusive environment she grew up in. And in fact, a different midrash in Shira Shirim Rabbah calls Rifka a rose among the thorns. Shoshana ben achochim. In other words, Rifka knew she was different. And she wanted to live differently than the trustless and hurtful culture where she was raised. And while all of that may have been true, that Rivka wanted to get away, the weakness of that Midrash is that Rivka is only running from, she's not running to. The weakness of the Midrash is addressed and complemented by another Midrash, also brought by Rashi, which says that Rivka wasn't just running away. She was a person of conviction, a person with vision. She had a why. She embodied all the foundational values and qualities of Sarah. Rivka intuitively knew, in contrast to the culture she came from, she knew the kind of home she wanted to make for herself. Midrash Rabbah says, all the days that Sarah was alive, a cloud was attached to the entrance of her tent. When she died, the cloud disappeared. But when Rivka came, the cloud returned. Clouds in the Torah symbolize and gently hide the divine presence. We have in the Torah the pillar of cloud, the clouds of glory in the desert, and many other instances. Like Sarah, the Midrash is saying that Rebecca, as we know her from future verses in the Torah, was aware of the presence of the Shekhinah. She would seek to experience the guiding hand of the divine in both the happy twists of her life and in the challenging and painful ones. The Midrash continues, All the days that Sarah was alive, the doors were wide open. When she died, 
her tent doors were closed. But when Rebecca came, the doors were flung wide open once again. The open doors, obviously, were to welcome guests, to share the feeling of home and of family and of belonging that so many people need and are looking for. And the Midrash ends with the following. And all the days that Sarah was alive, there was a blessing in her dough. And when Sarah died, the, that blessing ended. When Rebecca came, the blessing returned. And all the days that Sarah was alive, there was a candle that would burn from one Shabbat to the next. And when she died, the candle stopped burning for so long. But when Rebecca came, the week-long frame, flame of the candle returned. We might understand the Midrash is saying that inside the open tent, there was both physical blessing and abundance of food and drink, but there was also light, wisdom, and righteousness. Light, the spiritual blessing of their life, as so many of us have experienced in the homes of others and perhaps in the homes where we grew up as well. And as I once experienced as a complete stranger with a very special family, the Kopmar family in Ohio, where I grew up, the Kopmar family invited me into their home for one Shabbat meal. And that one meal was an experience which inspired and changed the trajectory of the rest of my life and the life of my future generations. Rivka evolves in the Torah as a person with deep convictions, a woman of principle and purpose. She didn't just leave her family to get away from a bad environment, to be just anywhere. She chose Abraham's family. The Torah writes that Yitzchak took Rivka for a wife, and then he loved her and was comforted after the loss of his mother. Unlike Yaakov, who loved Rachel at first sight, the Torah says that Yitzchak loved Rivka after they were married. How does a couple feel the, keep the fire of their love burning? I've spoken about three ways. One, by sharing a commitment to some foundational values. Two, by staying true to each of their own convictions and challenging each other when needed. And three, by doing small, game-changing acts of empathy and kindness every day. On a personal note, this week, my husband Gabi and I celebrated 40 years since we met. Every day of those 40 years has reinforced for me what I shared with you in this podcast. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you again for downloading this podcast, a production of the Pardes Institute of Jewish Studies. If you liked what you just heard, please give us a five-star review wherever you download your podcast today. Be sure to visit us on Spotify, where you can subscribe to any of our other podcast channels, or visit us at elmod.pardes.org. Thanks for listening.